October 24th, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 22, through chapter 3, verse 17. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Follow anything that makes you want to do right. Pursue faith and love and peace. And enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only start fights. The Lord's servants must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. They must be able to teach effectively and be patient with difficult people. They should gently teach those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts, and they will believe the truth. Then they will come to their senses and escape from the devil's trap. For they have been held captive by him to do whatever he wants. You should also know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times, for people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing as sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and have no interest in what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act as if they are religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. You must stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by many desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they never understand the truth. And these teachers fight the truth just as James and Jambres fought against Moses. Their minds are depraved, and their faith is counterfeit. But they won't get away with this for long. Someday everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as happened with James and Jambres. But you know what I teach, Timothy, and how I live, and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith and how long I have suffered. You know my love and my patient endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord delivered me from all of it. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and impostors will flourish. They will go on deceiving others, and they themselves will be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they're true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and teaches us to do what is right. It is God's way of preparing us in every way, fully equipped for every good thing God wants us Today, I don't want to speak about an absent Christ, a God who is away sunned, far, far away. No, today I want to speak about an unseen Christ, 
You see, 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ was born in Bethlehem of Judea. What happened here is that God became flesh. God in his flesh lived on this earth. He was born onto this earth as a baby and he grew to manhood and was baptized in the river Jordan and anointed by the power of the Holy Ghost. And for three and a half years, he walked around on this earth performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, making the lame walk, casting out devils, healing lepers and preaching the gospel because he was the gospel. And for those years while he was on this earth, he literally changed the world. There is no other man that changed the world the way Jesus did. He handpicked 12 disciples, specifically chosen, specifically selected, and he began to disciple them and teaching them the mysteries of God, revealing the mysteries of God, revealing the truths of the gospel. And then one of the 12, betrayed him and then he was taken outside Jerusalem on a hill called Golgotha and there they nailed him on a cross and there he bled and there he died he didn't faint Jesus actually died they then laid him in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea and on the third day he rose again and for 40 days after this, Jesus was seen on earth appearing and disappearing by many. Over 500 witnesses saw Jesus during this 40 day period. And then finally, he ascended into heaven. Yes, Christ ascended into heaven. In his human nature, in his human form, the disciples needed to see him go up. The disciples literally saw Christ ascending into heaven. This was in order for them to confirm the reality that he wasn't coming again. Because of what I said earlier, he had been seen appearing and disappearing for 40 days after the resurrection. Although Christ did ascend into heaven, that does not mean that he has gone a million miles away, millions and millions of miles away. He's ascended into another realm, a realm where God and his angels dwell to sit at the right hand side of the Father. Although Jesus is in this other realm, he is present everywhere by his Holy Spirit. This is why he told us and the disciples at his ascension, Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the world. So now, that begs the question, what is Jesus doing in this other realm? What is Jesus doing in heaven? And that's an excellent question. What you need to know is that the ministry of Jesus Christ did not end here on earth. He went further to continue his service for you and me. As a matter of fact, Jesus gave us several promises of what he'll be doing when he gets to heaven. And Jesus is always true to his word. And he's fulfilling these promises right now. And today, we're gonna to look at two of the things that Jesus is currently doing now in heaven. The first is, Jesus is preparing a place for us in heaven. We see in John 14 verse one to three, it says, 
let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. These are the words of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was about to round up his earthly ministry, the heart of the disciples were troubled because their master Jesus was going. He was their leader, he was their savior, and he was leaving them. That's why he started off by telling them, let not your hearts be troubled. Jesus had to tell the disciples the necessity of his departure. And I think we can all relate to what Jesus is doing in heaven. Just as every one of us will always try to prepare for a coming important visitor to our homes, Jesus is preparing a place for you and me, not as a visitor, but as people who will forever live with him. Imagine that. Jesus is preparing a place for you. This always reminds me of a couple, a newlywed, that's expecting their first child. The way their home transforms, it's absolutely phenomenal. This is what he promised us. He has gone to prepare a place for you and me. And he promised us he will return to receive us. It is an honor to know that right now as we speak, wherever you are right now, Christ is busy in heaven preparing a place for you. Oh, what a privilege. How privileged we are as believers to have Christ preparing our final abode. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly preparation consists of. But one thing that I do know is that heaven will be a wonderful place. There is nothing on earth that can be used to describe what we will see in heaven. And the truth is heaven is surely worth the wait. Heaven will be worth everything we have ever gone through for the gospel. And what I look forward to the most is the fact that heaven will spring forward surprises to us. We shall all be amazed when we see the reality of heaven. The second thing you need to know is that Jesus is currently interceding for you Hebrews 7.25 Wherefore he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. Jesus is presently in heaven making intercessions for us before the Lord. The ministry of intercession which Jesus is presently into has two implications. One of which is that he's praying for us. And at the same time, he's advocating for us. Christ stands as an advocate for us in the courts of heaven, presenting his blood against the accusations of the devil against us. Each time the devil accuses us, we prevail because Christ is continually presenting his blood on our behalfs. He says to the devil, these ones have been washed and purified, sanctified and justified by my blood. Therefore, 
you have no claim over their lives. Were it not for the continuous advocacy of Christ over our lives, the devil would have prevailed in his arguments and accusations against us. Romans 8, 33-34 says, Who shall lay anything to charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that commandeth? It is Christ that died, ye rather, that is risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercessions for us. Yes, Christ is our defense against the railing accusations of the devil, because he has purchased us and paid the full price for our, for our redemption. The devil can no longer claim ownership over our lives. We no longer have anything to do with the devil. The devil no longer has the ability to hold us ransom because our ownership has been transferred to Christ. He stands to defend it in heaven. So not only is he preparing a place for you, he is defending you. Oh, what a savior, what a savior. Hebrews 4 verse 14 to 15 says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus came to this world in human form and was tested in all ways. Now, Christ is in heaven, but having once lived in the flesh, he knows our challenges. We have a God that can relate with us. He knows all our challenges, fears, weaknesses, frailties, needs and heartaches. Jesus knows all our trials and temptations. He knows our doubts and fears and he is praying for us. There is no one who can pray for you the way someone can pray for you who has been through what you have been through. And Jesus has been through it all and he can relate with you in whatever situation that you are facing today. No matter what we are faced with, Jesus has passed through them all and now he stands in the position to help us out. The ministry of Jesus as Savior was not limited to the cross. After his resurrection, he prays for us that we might be able to bear the trials we face in life. Until one day we make it to heaven, Jesus knows our needs. He is ever ready to meet them. He said in John 14, 14, that whatever we ask in his name, he will do it for us. This is plain to see. The ministry of Jesus Christ in heaven has a significance that we typically forget. Isn't this amazing? that what Jesus did on the cross was not the final thing that he did for you and me. He is still in heaven praying for us. Jesus is doing more for you than you will ever know. I don't think we will fully understand and comprehend what Jesus is doing for us when he prays for us in heaven until one day we are in heaven and we can look back at our lives and realize it was you. All along it was Jesus who was praying for us and that everything that we overcame was not because we were strong, was not because of our resources or the people we knew. No, it was because Jesus was interceding and praying for us in heaven. We have an advocate 
an intercessor in heaven. More so, he will not leave us nor forsake us. He's currently preparing a place for you and for me.